I got the right ice, I can't do wrong. I got the black AP, the paddock of two tone. I don't want colorblind, I don't get my shine on. How's it going today, guys? Once again, we're back here in the studio live. Another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today is Monday, August 19th, 2018. And you know what it is, guys? It's another day closer to football. We're knocking on the door next Thursday is our first day of college football. We got some uh, preseason football that happened this last weekend, which is kind of just like a tease. And I'm, I'm, I'm over it at this point. I need football. Uh, to Got a special guest for you all on the podcast. Once again, Kyle Thacker back in the studio. So it's up to the people, Kyle. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for having me on, Penland. Hey, no problem. We'll running it back just like usual. So the first thing we're going to touch on here, guys, is a topic that's been uh, pretty big lately, especially on Twitter. Richard Sherman was sounding off about it last night, and that's the NFL tackling rule, how they adjusted to where a player cannot lead with the crown of their helmet slash hit with their helmet. I mean, the rule's terrible, honestly. Like, I feel like it's like the Keanu Neal rule. My dad and I were joking about it the other day. They've already called him for it in both preseason games. I feel like that they're just kind of targeting him, especially since he's known for being a big hitter, but I hate the rule. I feel like we're just moving closer and closer to flag football and it's taking everything out of football yeah i would have to agree and it it really does suck for these guys that i I would say it's gonna hurt the defensive backs uh the most just because they when they're going at the ball carriers or at whatever point it is they're usually running the fastest and so i mean a lot of times it's it's hard not to lead with your head and i think the dbs are really going to struggle with this trying to cover the wide receivers is hard enough and now you're telling them they can't you know run downhill and lead with their head like how a lot of the safeties have you know made a name for themselves is head hunting coming down the field so I think it's really going to be tough and I'm I'm interested to see what happens but I definitely am nervous to see what happens as well yeah I agree with you I think it just makes the NFL one step closer to being even more of an offensively dominated league um, I definitely was a I'm definitely a fan of the way they have adjusted the rule in the past to where you can't hit helmet to helmet I think that should always be right. a penalty as always but I really don't like this rule at all I feel like it kind of makes it touch football and like we've seen so many bad calls like there's literally a straight up sack in that uh, Jags Vikings game that was called like there's I've seen so many plays just on little Twitter videos and stuff of these preseason games and yeah. they've made terrible calls and I feel like it's all to the referee's judgments like I would be pissed if they called some BS helmet leading with the helmet penalty yeah, on Neil and they get fine yeah too, so that's what I'm saying it's nice. messing with their money they can get suspended and it can honestly mess with games it leaves it all up to a judgment call by the refs like imagine if they called leading with the helmet on Keanu Neal making a big tackle on fourth down in the playoffs for the Falcons and we lose the game like I would freak out I'd probably break the TV in half people were wondering why Roquan Smith wasn't signing a contract (laughs) yeah exactly like I'm it's I think they got to do something about it I feel like they got to take this rule away or they got to do something or other to fix it because the NFL ratings are just going to keep plummeting and you know it makes me think that basketball you know basketball's been on the rise the NBA keeps getting all these new TV deals I think it just opens the way more and more for basketball to be the number one sport in America yeah and what I I do have some to say about that as well it's it's saying something when the NFL when they put more control over their league I feel like the ratings respond negatively and the NBA they've you know kind of let the players you know be their own entrepreneur they've let the players 
grow their brands and be themselves. And it's helped grow the brand of basketball as a whole because people have come to know these athletes on a more personal basis. And you don't get that in the NFL. Yeah. And it also helps too with the NBA, how they basically adjusted it to go for the scoring players and everybody can shoot threes off the dribble and stuff. It's become more exciting and stuff rather than the NFL is becoming less and less exciting. So views are going in the toilet for the NFL. Like they had all the stuff with the um, players protesting the national anthem that turned a lot of people off. The NBA doesn't have any of that stuff. So I mean, the NBA just keeps getting more and more at this stuff. So I think the NFL is going to have to fix something and figure something out before the regular season starts. Will they? That's another question. But I mean, when it starts costing teams games off these big time judgment penalties, you're going to see people freaking out. So I'm not a fan at all. But let's move on from there. Let's go here to uh, Pat Mahomes. And I mean, his arm talent. Now I've talked a little bit about him on past podcasts, but he was full on display for me on uh, Friday night versus the Falcons when he had that 70 yard bomb. It was 70 yards in the air to Tyreek Hill and it was just nasty I mean he was a guy who we saw throw over 75 yards from his knees in when he was in that Gruden QB camp so I mean he's a freak athlete he's big he's got that strong arm I mean what do you think about Pat Mahomes yeah so Pat Mahomes obviously uh great great talent I think he has a ton of potential my issue with him is he's He's got some playmakers at wide receiver. They went uh, out and got Sammy Watkins, and uh, he's got Tyreek Hill there, and obviously Travis Kelsey's arguably the best tight end in the league. But my issue is he has got a very beaten down offensive line that is just not very good, and I'm I'm worried that the more he gets sacked, the lower his confidence is going to go down, and. And with a young quarterback like this, I I think really what's going to be tough for him and probably already has been tough for him is the mental aspect of the NFL and reading coverages and, you know, making adjustments. And that's going to be really hard when you don't have an offensive line that can protect you and help you grow. So I while I do think he's got playmakers down the field, I really, really want him to. I, w- I want to see that O-line protect him so he can continue to get better. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The O line's definitely got to get better, and I mean, the Chiefs had some had some unlucky stuff, like when they took a Fisher with one of their like top two picks, and he's like he's one of their backup um, offensive linemen, and they've had some key departures too there at the position. But my big thing is kind of like you said, it's with him reading defenses and reading coverages. I felt like watching him and just watching him in the past. Sometimes he predetermines where he's going to go with the ball, or when he gets rushed, he just kind of tries to fit something in a in a short in like a tight spot because he has such a big arm talent that he just relies on his arm sometimes times to bail him out and it's not always going to work like that for him I feel like we're going to see Mahomes come out and have some games where he throws for five touchdowns but he's also going to have some games where he throws for three or four or five picks you know and that's what it is when you're a gunslinger like him you just sit back there in the pocket and you just let her fly and I mean he's definitely stared down some receivers like Ren Wilson dropped a pick in the end zone and then we did pick him off the other time so I mean he could have had two interceptions but he still played a great game but like that's just going to be the thing for him is if he relies too much on his athleticism to make the play for him rather than actually reading the defense and not looking players off and stuff. So, I mean, I think we'll definitely see him struggle some games and we'll also be like, wow. So, I mean, as a rookie, I feel like he'll have a good season to build on. I also feel like that defense is aging fast. They lost Marcus Peters. um, So, 
if that defense that the longer that defense is on the field, you know, it's just it's it's not going to bode well for the oh, team as a whole. Absolutely, that defense. I personally, I've been a big advocate of this all season long. The Chiefs, I have them under eight and a half wins as one of my locks for the season. I think that defense is absolutely depleted. I mean, they have Marcus Peters leave. They don't have Ron Parker anymore, who's a Pro Bowler when he's back. They actually plays for the Falcons now. They don't have. Uh, I mean, they still have Eric Berry, but he's torn his ACL, torn his Achilles, and he's, he's beating cancer. Ring, like well, on. Honestly, I love Eric Berry to death, but I just everybody feel like, wishes him the best. Yeah, you can't, you can't. At this point in his career, you can't, you can't hang your hat on the fact that you have Eric Berry. It just, you just can't. Yeah, exactly. He's been through too much. And my biggest departure for their entire defense, besides Tom Bahali, is Derek Johnson. He's been a staple in that defense Absolutely. for over twelve middle. years, a middle linebacker, and that's your team captain right there. Now you're throwing Reggie Raglan in there. He's played one year in the NFL right. at middle so linebacker. It'll be, it'll be yeah, and they've lost on Tari Poe too. So I mean, like he's been on for two years now, but still, like that defense has fallen apart from the right. Kansas City they defense it's kind used of a to be. Seattle feeling almost. Oh yeah, no, that's not. It's kind of crazy too because them in Seattle are like the two most hostile environments in the NFL. The way yeah. the stadiums are built and stuff. So it's definitely crazy how they lost all this stuff. But I definitely think Kansas City is gonna has like offensive pieces to build off of. But they're definitely more on the rebuilding side of football now. But let's uh, talk here now about some more preseason football with our top three NFL prospects we've seen so far. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you all my first one. My first one, I actually have Josh Allen, Bill's quarterback from uh, Wyoming. Um, I was a really big advocate of Josh Allen coming in the draft. I thought he was probably the best quarterback piece or the most sure thing quarterback piece. I always said Baker Mayfield had the highest upside out of all of them, but I love Allen's mobility and the way he can throw the ball. His first game, he was 9 for 16 for 116 yards and a touchdown. I know you all saw those videos across Twitter of him slipping, but I mean, he's in there in the last string quarterback when they have no offensive line and they've lost A.J. McCarron. So now he's going to get the first team reps and he's actually going to be out there with a good offensive line. So I think this third game is going to be pivotal to really see what he's got. Um, the next game, he was 9 for 13 passing for 60 yards and a touchdown, which is pretty good. So he's thrown for a touchdown in both games, and he almost led the team down on a game-winning drive in that first game. So I really like Josh Allen. I think he's a really good young quarterback, strong arm, athletic, and I think that he can honestly lead this Bills offense to be a little bit better than people think they'll be. Yeah, uh, I like I like Josh. He's He's uh, probably got the most potential out of all these quarterbacks just because of, I mean, the arm talent is just out of this world. Mm -hmm. And not only that, he's a big athletic quarterback. Yeah, he's 6'5". You don't don't see that. I mean, you know, he's gotten a lot of comparisons to Big Ben, and I would Mm -hmm. definitely say that's his his top comparison in my eyes. But I'm just questionable about this Bills team as a whole, and I don't know if starting him off right away is going to be the greatest thing. I think they really didn't know what they had in Tyrod Taylor. I think he really brought a stable environment to that to that organization and you kind of knew what you were getting from Buffalo every week. Yeah, Tyrod Taylor wasn't going to come out there and throw 450 yards on you and blow you up, but he also wasn't going to make things easy for you. So I think we're going to see a little bit of inconsistency from, you know, Josh Allen, especially if he starts week one. Um, but, yeah, but we'll we'll see some growth, and I'm I'm excited to see him play. Yeah, absolutely. See, I don't think the Bills are a playoff team by any means. They also lost Preston Brown, their middle linebacker, who led the NFL in tackles this last season. So I mean, they've definitely had some key departures. LaShawn McCoy's on the lot older side in the NFL now, to at running back, but. 
like you said about uh, Tyrod Taylor, he's not a guy who's going to come out there and throw over 420 yards. Tyrod Taylor statistically is one of the best game managers in the NFL. It's just when it comes down to making the big time play, he's never been able to make it for the Bills. But I, I like you said, I mean, I don't have a problem with him starting P, uh, Peterman for the first couple of games, but I just think Josh Allen's looked really good throughout this uh, preseason. So he's in as one of my top prospects I've seen so far. Who you got? Who you got? <laughs> So my top prospect, um, well, one of my top prospects is going to be uh, Cortland Sutton out of SMU. Uh, he's a big, tall, physical, uh, athletic receiver. And I think he's going to, if uh, if Keenum can get some protection, I think he could have a breakout year. He's with a good wide receiver group. So he's going to he's gonna probably get favorable matchups, especially being yeah. a big, tall guy. And there's another big, tall guy going to be there with him in Demarius yeah. Thomas. But there's also a speedy guy in Emmanuel Sanders. Exactly. So he's he's in a really good position as far as the wide receiver receiver group and I, th- I think he's going to surprise some people so yeah no I definitely like Cortland Sutton I liked him a lot coming out of SMU I thought he's one of the better wide receivers in this uh, draft class you know I think that I think he could have a good chance there too I really lo- I honestly like Case Keenum I know he hasn't played that well yet in the Denver offense right. so it's going to be weird to see but I think Denver could be one of those sleeper teams and I think a lot of it depends on how their Keenum defense plays is good enough to carry yeah them, so and I like yeah Royce has got to do their job exactly and Royce Freeman almost made my list too and he's like he's been Right. Looked really good in the preseason so far, but also about this list, we're not necessarily lifting off our top three prospects because I mean we would both have Saquon Barkley I mean, at number yeah. one, but like we could sit here and talk Adding about Saquon Barkley, well. but the average NFL fan knows Saquon Barkley's good, so we're just more so talking about players that have impressed us and that we think have a lot of right. potential. Um, my next player is James Washington, Pittsburgh Steelers receiver. He's from Oklahoma State. Um, in the first preseason game, he really didn't do that much. He had two receptions for 44 yards, but he really showed off his speed and he when he was in there with Mason Rudolph, they kind of connected that old chemistry and he had five catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns. And one of them was a huge, I think like 65 yard catch. And, and he just looked really good in that game. There's not a lot of defense in that Steelers Packers game. And I really think him in the slot could be dangerous, especially if they can get Le'Veon Bell in there with his catching ability. That basically gives you four players along with Brown and Smith Schuster who are freaks at catching the ball on the field at once. So, I mean, this Steelers team could have a absolutely stacked up offense and James Washington could reap the benefits of double teams on the outside and linebackers and uh, safeties Absolutely. keying on Le'Veon Bell. He can uh, take advantage of what Martavis Bryant refused to. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, who, who's your next player? So my next player is going to be um, a little bit of a home, homer pick, but I think Leighton Van Der Esch is in a really, really good position in Dallas. Um, he was their first round pick out of Boise State. Uh, huge six foot. He's like six foot four, six foot five. Um, he's going but the main reason I think he's going to, you know, have a really good, at least at the beginning of his career right away, he's going to have a really good um, opportunity to be successful because he's in a, if they can stay healthy in an extremely good linebacker group there in Dallas with uh, Sean Lee and uh, Jalen Smith has looked incredible in his second year healthy uh, this preseason. He's been He's been uh, looking terrific, and I've seen great things about him. So Dallas is very hopeful about uh, Jalen being healthy for another full season after that ACL tear. And Sean Lee, when he's healthy, is one of the most productive NFL linebackers. So going in there with that group, he, he's going he's gonna to do really well, I think. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think he's also a really good sleeper, especially on that Dallas defense. They've got a stacked-up D-line, which makes yeah, it a lot easier absolutely. for the secondary and linebackers. I mean, like you said, Sean Lee, if he can stay healthy, a big if, but if he stays healthy, he's good. And, I mean, Jalen Smith, people forget, was supposed to be a top-five pick before yeah. he tore that ACL up. <laughs> right. So, I mean, Dallas definitely, they, that defense has a lot of potential. I know, isn't Demarcus Lawrence suspended for, what, two games? Uh, that's uh, David Irving. That's right, actually that's right. suspended for the first uh, four games for, um, I think it was uh, substance. Yeah, same thing, Julian Edelman and all them. But, yeah, Dallas' yeah. defense definitely going to be better next year, and they're going to need it in a stacked-up NFC. To, he could play yeah, absolutely. They'll, they'll absolutely need that defense because uh, the offense is mainly worried about, you know, controlling the ball, and they're not necessarily going out there to put up 40, so – yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, my last uh, offensive player I have on here is Lamar Jackson. I mean, I love watching Lamar Jackson. I'll never forget waking up hungover, watching him run all over Florida <laughs> State and absolutely destroy us and then yell free Kodak in the camera. I was like, geez, this kid's destined for greatness. But, I mean, he's done nothing but impress me so far in the preseason. He had in his uh, first game, he was 4 for 11 for 33 yards, a touchdown. He also threw an interception. But, I mean, he's still learning eight rushes, 25 yards. Then his second game, he was 7 for 18 pass. Passing for 119, he broke that 100-yard mark and had a rushing touchdown. It was all over Twitter, him running right. that ball in. I mean, Lamar Jackson, guys, obviously we're not going to see him at the beginning of the of the season. We might have to wait a little bit before we actually see him, but we all know what he can do and what kind of freak athlete he is, and he's done nothing but impress so far. So I'm just looking for more big things from Jackson, look for him to keep building and getting better at reading that defense and taking snaps under center. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm really, really excited for Lamar, just, I mean, for obvious reasons. My issue here is I really, really hope that Baltimore does not screw this up. If he's not ready, play Flacco. And and I'm not in the I'm obviously not in the position, but you know, all these Baltimore fans are gonna be as soon because I, I don't think Baltimore is gonna be very good this year. And, you know, if they pick up, you know, the you know, their first few games, they pick up a few losses. Those, that fan base is going to be calling for Lamar, and they're going to be wanting bad. You know, regardless of the fact yeah. that Flacco won them a Super Bowl, you know, people, that was like, that was long enough ago where people don't care. They want to see results. And I just don't want to see Lamar get rushed into a situation because I, I think he really needs time to develop. Um, and if he can develop correctly, it's going to be something special. So I don't want to see anything ruin that. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. All right, let's move on here to our uh – and let's talk about some uh, UGA football here. So, obviously, big news is uh, your White Torrent tearing his ACL for UGA football, five-star recruit. I mean, I know, Thacker, you're a huge UGA fan, so I want to get your insight a little bit here on what you think is going to happen. Yeah, so obviously, uh, it sucks to have White out, um, especially since he just got off of an ACL tear and was recovering, and now he tore it again. So, that's, that's definitely tough to see for him because we had such high hopes for him. You know, Zeus, the man, supposed to come in here and have girly-like impressions his freshman year. But I I really don't think that this, um, you know, hurts the dogs too, too much just because the O-line is still stacked just all the way through. There's competition, at, uh, you know, at every, every position pretty much. Uh, Wilson just locked up the right tackle position for right now, but we'll – We'll see moving forward, but that line's going to be making holes, and 
whoever's running behind it, whether it's Swift or Harrion or Holyfield and James Cook will even, I think, see some reps. But as far as the depth chart, it's uh, Swift's going to be getting, you know, most of the, the first half snaps, especially. And he'll be he'll definitely get the load of the carries. But I expect to see in that second string, I would put Holyfield and Harrion slightly over Cook just because they've been there for so long. They're bigger. They've been in a SEC weight room for several years now. They, they've just got a little bit of an advantage. I think Cook is the more talented out of the three, so he may be able to uh, get some more carries throughout the season. So it'll be fun to see, but it's definitely tough to see White go down. Yeah, absolutely. I was really looking forward to watching him run the ball. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, if James Cook's half of the player that Dalvin Cook was, then he's going to be absolutely nasty because, I mean, we saw last year how bad FSU was without him and what all he did for our offense. Absolutely. I mean, there were certain games where he looked like he was the whole team, but I really think it's big to have a lot of running backs in college football, which Georgia still has depth in the position, but losing him loses a lot of depth. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see if Georgia can run the table again like they did last year, but I think going down the running back could end up hurting them in the long run. But speaking of college football, we're on the subject. We're going to stay here. And we got some, got our most overrated, underrated, and sleeper team in college football. So I'm going to open up right here with my um, most overrated team. And I, I have number eight Miami here. And I'm not just saying that as a Florida State fan. I firmly believe Miami is overrated. Reason number one being their head coach is Mark Richt, yeah. and, which I know you disagree with me yeah. on. Mark Richt is the biggest choke artist in college football Ouch. and possibly in sports. I mean, Mark Richt every single year. Oh, Georgia has all this hype and everything. Never play up to it. And I feel like a lot of it was Mark Rick's fault, and I feel the same way with Miami. You're killing me, man. You know, I I can't necessarily disagree with the fact that uh, you think they're overrated because I do think their AP ranking was a little bit high just because they, they lost some talent. and Yeah, they lost their top two wide receiver, their tight end and their top wide receiver right. in the NFL. But, come on, you can't talk about my man Mark Rick like that because I understand, you know, he might not be the greatest in-game manager. He might let some opportunities Opportunities fly through the dust, but you have you have watched this man come into an organization that with rich history that has just been underperforming, underperforming year after year, head coach after head coach, and he comes in and puts structure to this team, and then last year have just this absolute resurgence with honestly an average roster. Now, yeah, their schedule was easy, honestly, and they only had a few tough games, and they but they showed out when they had those but they just didn't have that talented of a roster and I think that goes to show that Mark Rich when you come in there and you bring in structure into an organization into a club like that like it, it does something it means something and I think those players that you know have been talented have just been missing that and he's I think he's brought that to Miami so I'm I can't, I can't stand behind you on Mark Rick take. See, I disagree with you there. I think Mark Rick is good. He's good at getting you prepared to play a game. He's good at recruiting, but he's like kind of like a Dan Quinn or like one of those coaches. When it comes down to performance in the game, he chokes every time. But, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing to Miami was you have to stop the run against them. I was looking at stats day of their games when they didn't run for as many yards. They played bad games. I really don't right. like Marie, Malik Rozier. He threw 14 interceptions no, I mean, in 10 games. When the game's on his shoulders, they're not in a good position. They've, mm-hmm. They they 
they want their defense to dictate. The game. Yeah, when they pull that defense chain out, yeah. the whole team gets so hyped. The game's over when it happens. But I mean, they also lost three of their starting defensive linemen to the NFL, so it's going to be interesting to see what and they have. Top receiver. In yeah, the area. exactly. Who do you, who do you think's the most overrated? So um, with most overrated, I'm just going to I'm going with Notre Dame for a few reasons. Um, first of all, they lost some of their their top players. I'm definitely their top player in Quentin Nelson. Went number six. Then Mike McClinchy also going in the first round. There's a guard and a tackle right there gone. But not only did they lose their two of their offensive linemen, also lost their tight end to the NFL draft and their number one receiver. So that offense has really got to be rebuilt. Um, And apart from that, their schedule is pretty brutal. While they do have Michigan and Stanford and Florida State at home, those are not those are three games that are all you know top 20 teams right there so it's those are all tough games at home and then they have to go to Wake Forest who's who's proven to be a legitimate contender in the ACC um, to Virginia Tech who I think is Virginia Tech with Josh Jackson coming back after his freshman year and they had a they had a really good year last year I think they're actual contenders you know I've never you know I'm in previous years, I've been skeptical of Virginia Tech, but I think they're going to show out this year. Um, and then they also have to go to USC, so definitely a tough schedule for Notre Dame. Yeah, I, do, offense. I, yeah I agree with you. I don't really see Notre Dame running the table. I think their schedule is way too hard for them. They do have their quarterback in Malik year coming back again, but, I mean, I just don't really see them running the table. I agree with you. The schedule is way too stacked up. Um, let's go underrated teams right here. I've got West Virginia. I mean, they got Will Greer, who a lot of people like to win the Heisman Trophy. He was really good before he got kicked out of Florida. He was good last year. They were 7-3 and three with Greer on the field and three without him. Um, they have David Sills, who we all know is that kid. He, com- he committed to USC when he's yep. like 12 years old. Now he's probably going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Ever since getting Tony Gibson as their defensive coordinator, West Virginia has it a top 50 defense. Um they're hard. They do. They have a favorable schedule, and they get Oklahoma at home, which is big. That's the last game of the season, so that's gonna be a huge game right there. But I mean, they're at NC State, who lost a lot of defense, so that's gonna be that's gonna play to their favor. That's gonna be a high scoring offensive shootout. I'd bet the over in that game. But they get Texas and uh, and or I mean, they're at uh, Texas and Oklahoma State, so those are their three hardest hardest games. They play Tennessee in the Panthers Stadium, so I mean, they'll even if they were to lose one game, I still feel like they could have potential to get in there as one. Loss. Yeah, West Virginia is a team that I think will have a very good year. Favorable schedule, returning talented quarterback. Everything is in their favor. I, I think West Virginia, if they're not contending for a Big 12 championship, it's definitely a loss for the season. Yeah, they'll definitely be like nine and three at worst, and they'll probably play in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think I think, you know, in-house they probably have high hopes, but I think the you know, outside of that, no one's really considering West Virginia, but I think they should. So I agree with that. So, uh, so my sleepers can be Virginia Tech. Just talked about them earlier, but um, their schedule is going to be real favorable. Uh, they don't have a. They're on the easier side of the ACC. They'll they'll start out with Florida State, which will be tough. And uh, but they have Notre Dame and Miami at home. So 
I think their their schedule looks good, and they got Josh Jackson returning. He threw for about 3,000 yards last year and 20 touchdowns and then ran for another six, and he's coming in. That was his freshman year. I mean, this guy, who knows what's in, this, yeah. in store for him. So I think that Virginia Tech is very excited for uh, for their, their year coming up, and, you know, they're ranked 20th in the AP poll. I think they're going to finish much better than that. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that completely, Virginia Tech's very underrated. They do have an easy schedule. The Coastal is pretty easy in general. I could see them losing to Florida State at the beginning of the season, then beating Miami and Virginia Tech at home and represent the Coastal in the ACC championship. And I mean, who knows? Anybody could upset. I mean, I'm a Florida State fan. I probably think Clemson's going to be in that game. So, I mean, I could see them upsetting them. But like you said, it's also a very hostile environment where they play at and they get crazy special teams play there. So, I mean, it's going to be tough to go in Virginia Tech and beat them. Absolutely. So... I definitely like that, too. Uh, let's move to the last topic here. It's our sleeper team. I have Penn State at number 10. Obviously, you're like, what do you mean by a sleeper? I mean a sleeper to get the final four. I think that the, I think everybody's yeah. sleeping on hard. Trace McSorley, to me, is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Their running back, Miles Sanders, was a top five running back recruit when he came out of high school. He's a junior. He sat behind Saquon Barkley, kind of learned from him, watched him. He's even said that Saquon Barkley was a good mentor to him. So I feel like they got a lot going from there. They get Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all at home. The only good uh, Big Ten team they have to play is at Michigan. So, I mean, that'll definitely be difficult. But they have a stacked up D-line in secondary. And I've been seeing a lot of the uh, big-time analysts have been saying this defense could be one of the top of the nation. So, I think this team coached by James Franklin has a good chance to run the table out in the Big Ten. Yeah, um, I I, I agree. Penn State is – they are one of the most talented teams in college football. There's no doubt. I think their schedule is just absolutely brutal. Um, They're going to have a tough time. In just within the Big Ten, so I mean that's that's the only knock on them is their schedule and the fact that they lost their biggest playmaker. So we're gonna really see, you know, what's up with McSorley. Is he is he really that guy that they've you know seen be a star there, or is he gonna not be as as bright without Saquon? So I think that'll be very interesting to see. But this concludes today's episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Um, we'll talk to y'all next time. We'll have some more good stuff for y'all. I'm coming back at y'all again tomorrow, so you already know what it is. What I'm supposed to do when he rats blue? Ooh, what I'm supposed to do when he rats blue? Ooh, I should've gave him dog food and went to your noodle. I should've never got caught up with a cougar. Way too clever. Way too jealous.